0: Welcome back to the podcast, Growth and Jams fans. Today, I have on as a guest, one of my very favorite people. He is a man of many names, but most importantly, he is my little brother. He is an enigma. He is great. Um, This is Sebastian Garcia, Seba, Seba, Mr. Harvard himself. Enjoy the show. One, two, three. But why don't you go ahead and start with, I guess, introducing yourself, letting the people know a little bit about who you are. Hey, y'all. What's up, jammers? <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm glad to be on here. It's a, it's a true privilege. I don't really know where to start to talk about myself. I guess the best way I can sum up myself and just describe who I am is just to say that I like a little bit of everything. My interests lie everywhere. And I just don't like to be, like nail down to one specific thing. I think that I'm a little bit of my own person, too. I think that's a big part of who I am is that I'm my own person, that I go from thing to thing, just seeing what I like and not being nailed down to one thing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So I think the best way to kind of go about the, the format of this podcast is to start at the beginning and kind of work our way up to where you are now. Yeah, sure. As many people know, um or maybe they don't know. You have recently been accepted to Harvard University, and you will be attending and going there as of Thursday of this week. So that's yeah. in two days. Yeah, that's very exciting two days stuff. Recording. Very exciting stuff. Um, but I guess let's go ahead and start and go back to the beginning. So I guess detail a little bit about your experience. Um, we both went to private school growing up, and I guess just tell us a little bit about what experience you you had in private school and how that shaped you as an individual.
1: Okay, so. As I'm sure a lot of y'all already know, Saul and I both went to St. Matthew's for the first part of our private school. I went until second grade, and he went until sixth grade. At St. Matthew's, I really didn't have that bad of an experience. You know, it was a fine education for me to grow, up, to grow up with. I learned everything I needed to do. I dealt with like, a little bit of bullying just because of who I was. But I mean, you're going to get there wherever you are. I think it was just a completely fine education, and I didn't grow up enough to have that kind of negative connotations that come with a lot of the institutionalized learning that I'm sure we're going to talk about later. I think having to go to church once a week, I mean, that was fine. It was a great introduction to the faith. They didn't really ham anything down our throats just that young. It was, I think it was fine. But when I went to our Lady of the Atonement, in my, starting my third grade year, it was completely different. We had Mass every single day. And on Fridays, it was in Latin. It was a high Mass. And we there was incense. There was chanting. I personally liked the structure. But then the teachings, as I got older, just became more and more intolerant. And I found that as they were talking about the gay agenda, all the evil of the Democrats and Obama, I just could not reconcile that with my own personal beliefs. So I kind of grew away from the church after I after I had that experience with Our Lady of the Atonement. And I think that just that institutionalized hate and institutionalized dog, dogmatization was a very negative force on a lot of people there and kind of pushed a lot of people that went through that school out of the faith.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can definitely attest to that myself. Would you say that the church itself, the way that they've done that, obviously it's bad, but would you say that the initial teachings that you were uh, receptive to or that you learned about were beneficial for you in any way, the teachings of the Bible or the teachings of Jesus?
1: I definitely think it was more based on the, some some. it was on an individual basis so I found the negative teachings. I personally find that the Bible is a great way to teach a lot of moral lessons, a lot of stories, and a lot of things to show you how to live your life. I think it can show you virtue, it can show you all these things. And that's obviously a very positive influence on a lot of people's lives. And I think that's a great thing. I got some of that out out of it, but a lot of other times, through whether that be like the priests or the deacons or certain teachers, I just got a very negative experience from them where they had a completely different interpretation of the gospel, a different interpretation of everything that was in there. So, for example, my third and fourth grade teachers, they were really cool people. Like they, they taught it like how I think they should be taught where they focused on love, they focus on the connection with God. They didn't focus on the very intimate, minute details of the letter of the of the word that I feel like a lot of things can get lost in, like the true mm-hmm. meaning can get lost
0: in. Yeah. It wasn't until
1: fifth grade when they really started hammering down on things I disagreed with.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean that's a lot to process. For a fifth grader yeah, in general. So definitely. I don't think that the way they went about that was probably accurate at all or good, good for your development as human beings at all. I'm sure a lot of people were in the same boat as you feeling extremely mm-hmm. uncomfortable, pressured, and, you know, ultimately I think that pushes a lot of people away from the church, which is not good. The church isn't inherently bad, but I think the people within the church definitely could mm-hmm. be teaching better leading by example better doing definitely better.
1: Uh, another thing i'd like to add is like you you mentioned how other people would have had a bad experience with it like i did but i i feel like it just really depends on your own home life because if you go home and you have parents or family members that are saying the exact same thing then you're not going to have a problem with it. you're just going to think it's normalized yeah. for us we were very fortunate to have to have parents that just were kind of more free thinking that let us think what We wanted to. So I think uh, that's why it was more of a negative experience for me. Yeah. I think for some people it would have been a harmful experience, but they would have just gone with it.
0: Yeah, definitely. While we were cradle Catholics and, you know, pushed into that direction from a young age, I think it was good to give us that direction. Obviously, you want your children to have the same beliefs that you do. But I think it was also great that we were encouraged to think for ourselves and Having as diverse a family as we do, and the diverse ways of thinking as we do, I think it's been great to shape us into the people that we've become. Definitely,
1: I think that having a mom who is a theology major who can appreciate the aspects of every religion was a very big part of me realizing that you don't have to follow everything that's being taught in your church. Because she had, for in order to graduate with her theology master's, she had to go and attend. Attend services at a mosque, at a temple, at different, like at a Jewish and like a Hindu temple. She had all these experiences. I think having those experiences was a great thing for her, and it transferred that acceptance and that willingness to be open to new ideas to us too.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so that would leave us at what your fifth grade years. So that definitely pushed you away from faith in general. Was there any valuable lessons that you learned in your early education? You would say that have helped you. To succeed now and where you
1: are, I, I mean, definitely the golden rule: you know, you treat others as you want to be treated. That's a foundational part of the Bible of Christianity as a whole, and they really hammer that in as a young as a young Catholic, as a young Christian. And I think using that to go forward to just treat other people with the same respect that you expect other people to give you is a big part of what I think a lot of my success has come down to: just giving people respect, giving them the time to talk, giving them the time to share their opinions.
0: You were a very avid reader growing up, and you said you experienced a little bit of bullying, which, again, can be attributed to most kids. But yeah. I think that you experienced kind of a unique sense of bullying because you were being bullied because you were different. You weren't following the, you know, the norm of sports and all that. You were mm-hmm. just reading. You think that that was beneficial for you and... Do you think that was like a key component for you and who you are? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I wouldn't
1: wish bullying or any of those negative experiences on any people, but for me, it was a foundational part of who I am and what my own personal thought process became because I had to learn to not go with what people were pressuring me to do, to not go with the flow, to not be okay and to not be okay with being influenced by other people, whether that be just through the societal expectations, through familial expectations, or through actual bullying or some more aggressive tactics, so I think that really formed who a lot of who I was, just being my own person and not caring what other people think
0: as much. That's great. I, uh, I made the transition from Catholic private school to public school, sixth grade going into seventh grade. So it was a little bit difficult for me because I had to you know insert myself into groups that had already been established by their sixth grade year. So I faced a lot of challenges. Would you say that the transition for you from, I mean, obviously St. Matthew's is kind of a middle ground between atonement Mm -hmm. and public school. Was the transition in any way hard for you to go from atonement to public school?
1: I think it was mainly just difficult for kind of the same reason. Just you have no connections. And when you're in private school, you have your own group of people that you're going to be with no matter what you're doing, whether that be sports, lunch, birthday parties. It's all it's such a small school that you're going to be doing the same group. You're going to be with the same group of 20, 20, 30 kids your entire yeah. career. So going into into sixth grade, I didn't have the social skills to make new friends on myself because m- my entire life, all those friends had been pre-assigned just on the basis mm-hmm. of those were the classes I had. And I was assigned the class and they, I was with them for my entire career. So going in, I really didn't have any friends and it, w- it was difficult at first. I mean, I wasn't like, crying at night or anything. I just knew that was going to be an inevitability of switching from the private to the public life. I think having to learn those skills myself at such a relatively old age was kind of an interesting experience for me. And I think it helped me develop my own sense of who I was without having the influence of all those other people and all the connections that other people had had going into sixth and seventh grade with a public school background.
0: Yeah, I think you've had definitely a unique educational experience that most people probably haven't had. And it's given you a very unique perspective on life and a unique way of thinking. Moving into your, I guess, middle school years and into high school, when do you think, and tying it back to the larger picture, when do you think that you understood that you had the drive and the ability to be great? And that's not by any merit standard but um or like any accolade that you've achieved, but when was it that you had that initial idea to push yourself academically and to become the smartest
1: that you could become? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't think it was one specific event. I think it was more of just a gradual realization that I want to push myself further. I don't want to be complacent. I, I'd i see people who just be like kind of dozing off in class. And I just think there's so much that you can get out of these classes. I want to get everything I possibly could out of my education because I think education is a great experience. We shouldn't take it for granted. And I, I think it was more of my ability to just realize that and take advantage of every moment and every learning experience that I was having. Whether that be playing football or soccer or whatever it was, or even just in the classroom or in the lab, all these experiences I, j- I just wouldn't take for granted. You know, I just wanted to have these experiences and learn as much as I could for them.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. It's definitely led to long term success, and I think the mindset is ultimately like the most important thing, mm-hmm, right? Definitely, you can be smart or you could be very unintelligent, or you could be below average, but it is all about your mindset, your drive, and ultimately what you want to do and pursue with your life. Definitely. For example, whenever I was five years old, uh, our
1: our mom wanted to put me into piano lessons, and because she told me that I I had to do them, I absolutely dreaded doing them. (laughs) So, for basically, for seven years, I've just completely stunted my growth. <laughs> I, I in, as a pianist, I was so bad at piano. Like I didn't really advance that much. I mean, of course I learned some songs that I really liked, but I just hated the idea of having to sit down and practice. But then when I was in, in middle school, I realized, Hey, I really like piano and I really see what it can do for me. And I see how I can be beneficial for me. So I really started to blossom. I just developed so much faster than I had ever before, just because I, I wanted to do it for myself and I wanted to learn for myself. So just the shift in attitude, let me accomplish so much more.
0: Yeah, I definitely saw that as your brother. And I think, I'm sure you've heard, but there's studies that have shown that performing an instrument or practicing an instrument is like directly linked to like increased intelligence and success Mm -hmm. academically. Mm -hmm. What do you think since, I mean, first of all, you play piano, harp, cello, guitar, ukulele. I don't know. There's probably more (laughs) in there harmonica but what do you think all those instruments and playing those what has that taught you that's a really difficult question to, to answer just because
1: i feel like it's been this cumulative effect of they've kind of piled on to just give me that work ethic because i think that they're very difficult to to manage all these things together in conjunction with your education it's very hard to have that education and that level of musical ability kind of coinciding with each other and not just kind of dealing with one or the other. I think specifically, it taught me how to fail, though. Because as much as I love succeeding in my life, all I do is win. Just, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but as much as I love winning and I hate losing, when you're a pianist there are, or a cellist, there are times when you just don't succeed as much as you wish you could. You spend an entire year, you spend hours and hours and days and days of your life focusing on one piece just pouring your heart and soul to it. And then you perform it and you do your best you can. You're giving your entire soul. You're getting your life out there and you don't do well. You might get a really bad score. And that's just part of it. Part of succeeding is learning how to fail. And I think music in general really taught me how to do that.
0: That's awesome. That's great that you can recognize that at such a young age. I think for me, I'm sure you're the same way, but I was very much so a perfectionist, but it seems like you've been able to take failure and use it constructively to become better. Definitely. I definitely think I was the other way around, and <laughs> it was like a destructive failure. Oh,
1: yeah, no, definitely. Like For a few times, it, it, I would just shut down. I'd be so upset. Like, you couldn't talk to you me. Know, I'd just be sitting there in the corner, just being hey, myself, I'm so <laughs> stupid, stupid. But then it, it it's like, of course, I, it wasn't like one day a switch flipped on. I was like, okay, I failed. It's okay. It was more of like a, a gradual shift to me being okay with the failure. It, it still hurts, obviously. Failing yeah. is always going to hurt. It's going to suck. You're going to be upset. But it's what you do with that failure when you see what you did, what you can improve on, that really shows how who you are as a person and how you can deal
0: with all these things. Yeah, that's very wise of you to think of. What would you say, um, moving into your high school years, I think you and I both, maybe in a different sense, but we're both kind of silent sufferers. Yeah. Um, how would you say... Or what are some of the things, the hardest times that you've been through in your, I would say these are more, your like pre-adult years. So it's Mm -hmm. where things start getting much more serious. You start dealing with serious close to adult, if not adult issues. Yeah. Um, What are some of those experiences you've had and how have you dealt with those?
1: So, um, I had a lot of experiences with my ex-girlfriend. I I know that you also had negative experiences with one of your exes that was very toxic and I had the same experiences. I'm not going to go into specific details, but there were lots of issues with self-harm with like, suicidal tendencies, all these things that were very hard for a 15, 14, 16-year-old to deal with. You didn't know how to deal with it. You didn't know who to talk to. So I didn't talk to anyone. I just kind of tried to deal with it myself. Eventually, I, it blew up in my face. And it was a very negative experience after that whenever we broke up. And there was a horrible fallout. But that was a very difficult time. And I didn't know who to talk to. And after that, I just really started talking to a lot more people about my own Personal life, my own struggles, just kind of opening up because for so long I had just stayed closed with my own personal issues. So I think as I've gotten older, I've become—I I wouldn't say like more vocal with my own personal struggle, just more willing to share them and have people it, it, understand and and see what they can do about it. Because I think you can't go this road alone. Your life is a journey with other people in it. You have to have other people be a part of it. You have to have their help, or otherwise you're just not going to be successful or as happy as you could be.
0: Yeah, you definitely have to lean on people in times that are tough as well because <laughs> if you don't have people to lean on, it's very easy to fall and not get back yeah, up. Yeah, definitely. You
1: can you can either shut down, go into yourself or you can or you can reach out to other people and have them lift you up. I mean, it depends on which people you are reaching out to It can be a negative or a positive experience, but I think in general it can be a very a very good way to heal and to have new experiences and to grow from something bad that's happened.
0: Yeah. Definitely, and it pains me to hear that you've been through something like that, but I can imagine and attest to it myself that I think a lot of people in your shoes, your age, specifically the high school age range, even into middle school sometimes, you're dealing with these heavy issues and there are no resources to talk to. No, absolutely not. You really cannot confide in people because you get your parents involved it turns into much bigger. Well, it is big, but it turns into something that you don't think it needs to turn into Mm -hmm, because you want to have the agency to handle your own problems, to fix things yourself. I think it's great that you were able to persevere through those times and learn from them. Mm -hmm. But I also hope that people in the future are more vocal, more open to accepting help, because I think that's a large part of it is we don't want to ask or accept help when the time comes.
1: Yeah. A lot of people are just scared of you know, not being strong enough, not being manly enough or not being enough of a of a strong person. And they just don't want to get the help that they need. Yeah. So they'll shut down and they'll just kind of, kind of collapse into themselves and
0: not be successful or happy as they could be. Yeah. I guess to segue a little bit into something else. So in high school, you were kind of an enigma. You didn't really have one group that you were tied mm-hmm. down to or one type of niche that you were blocked into. Talk a little bit about uh, all the things that you've done in terms of education and outside of school that you participated in.
1: So, I mean, just to give a brief synopsis, I was in orchestra, I was in band, UIL current bands, academic decathlon, quiz bowl, world quest, all these academic competitions. And then I had to go and do those after school. But during school too, I was in all AP classes. I, in my junior and senior years, I even just quit my lunch because I wanted to (laughs) take even more classes. So I was in all AP classes. I took the most AP classes out of anyone at O'Connor. I became a national AP scholar. I am a national Hispanic merit scholar. So all these things, in addition to the extracurriculars, it it took a lot of time. So to walk you through an average day in my senior year, I'd wake up around 6 so I could get to band rehearsal at 7. And then I'd have to because I had I was master technology. I had to wheel out the speakers. I had to wheel out all my electric, all the generator, all the electronics. It was very that part was very difficult. But not only that, I had to then go straight to class after having been outside all day. And then probably in the morning, I'd also have to go practice cello for a test or an audition that was coming up. Then I'd go through my entire day, not eat lunch, not ha- not having eaten breakfast because I didn't have time to then after school, during my period, I'd have to run to my mentor across town so I could have a mentorship with a with an orthopedic surgeon. And I'd do that until around four thirty. Then I'd have to run all the way back in rush hour traffic to have the afternoon van practice from around five to eight. And then some days it went even longer or there was other things like there was a musical I had to help with or there was other things. And I was at school until nine, so from seven to nine. It was a very long time. Fourteen hours at school was difficult. Then I had to come home and do all the homework for all the classes I didn't do. And or the homework for the extracurriculars or anything that I had to do. It was a lot of work. There was tons of reading, tons of crying, tons of late nights <laughs> where I just wanted to give up and crawl in a hole and die. But I mean I, I persevered just because I love to learn and it wasn't it's not a chore if you love doing it. So I didn't do anything that I hated, that's why. I eventually stopped doing heart because my finger was very chubby. I'm not very good at it. I wasn't getting joy out of it. I'm it. It didn't spark joy. I got rid of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that schedule alone is enough to drive someone crazy, but doing it for pretty much two years straight while balancing a social life, because it seems from what I saw when I did come back into town from college, that you were always with your friends. You were having yeah. a good time. You had a smile on your face. So, that's great that you managed and you persevered, <laughs> but I do not know how you did it.
1: Yeah, I honestly don't know either. I think if
0: now after having
1: six months of not doing anything in quarantine, you threw me back in that schedule, I'd probably last a day <laughs> and then I'd sleep through my alarms and go to sleep at three in the morning and then fail out of school because it was such a hectic schedule. And I, I mean, I think college in comparisons is going to be easier than having to do that constantly all day because there's just less
0: to do. Yeah, definitely. Something that I think a lot of people would value or admire about you is obviously all that you take on, all that you place on your shoulders and that work ethic. Um, how do you, I guess, demand excellence from yourself when all the people around you are conforming and, mm-hmm. you know, at the status quo? Mm-hmm. So w- what I'm going to say, I do not recommend for other people. It is not a healthy
1: method <laughs> to, get to motivate yourself, but I am really bad at comparing myself to other people. And myself, so I would see someone else doing better than me, and I just think I have to do better than them. I have to do better, better than them, and that just drove me to do more than I ever could if I was just wanted like doing it for no reason. And besides that, if like I was doing worse than I knew I could, I'd drive myself even further, thinking I can do better than this. I can do better than this. I can do better than them. I can be the best for myself. I can be the best among other people trying to be better than other people is not a good mindset Mm -hmm. because there's always going to be someone that's better than you. You can never be the best at anything. I've had friends tell me when I was crying, Hey, it's okay. You can't be the best at everything. And I, I I know I can now, like now not having to do all this stuff. I know that that's a complete fantasy, but in the moment it was a quick way for me to motivate myself to be better. I do not recommend anyone to do that because it leads down a winding rabbit hole that goes really far down (laughs) And ends with you crying because you got half a point worse than someone else on the test.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I was never in that situation. I was very much the status quo and conforming to complacency. So it's really cool as your brother to see you push through all that you push through mm. and achieve all you've Thank achieved. You. Was it any way or when was it that you were able to keep an end goal in mind? Was that at the start of freshman year or at some point before then? So, after then?
1: Okay, that's a, that's a good question. I had seen Harvard in a show, I think this was Fringe, back in like 2008 when I was really, when I was really little, like six or seven. And the idea of Harvard as this institution where it's just for learning just kind of stuck in my head. So, when I was going into high school, I just thought, I need a goal. I'm going to get into Harvard. And that just be, kind of became this arbitrary goal. That just seemed super far off just to motivate me to do even better. But as I came, went into junior year and senior year, it became more real. Like I started doing these conferences at U Chicago and Yale, where I really saw like, "Hey, this is a possibility." So at first, it was just kind of a fantasy, something just an arbitrary goal to motivate me to do better. But as I went along in my high school career, it became a real attainable thing for me, and I just thought it was it was really interesting seeing it. Transform from just something like a fantasy to something that was real. And then finally it becoming realized in this December.
0: Yeah. I think everyone in our family knew from a very young age that you were special, that you were gifted, that you <laughs> were capable. But I think again, like to your point as well, like Harvard itself seemed like such a far off, like, Definitely. I don't know if this will, like he is it. And if anyone's going to do it in our family, it's going to be him. But I don't think any of us, ever saw it actualizing. No,
1: d- definitely not me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, <but laughs> I'll be the first one to tell
1: you. I did not think I was going to get in. You you like that you bring up a great point with the actualization part because it's easy to see, yeah, you know, maybe I could do that, but then actually envisioning yourself there actualizing it and, and kind of manifesting yourself there is completely different. I could not do that. I could never see myself there because I just thought, oh, that I'm going to slip up. I'm not going to do well enough. I'm going to fail somewhere along the way. And I just never thought it was going to happen. So when it actually happened, it was a complete surprise to me. It was like waking up from a dream where, you know, you see you have this this image in your head that's completely f- like foggy and murky. Then you wake up and you see it right in front of you. You know, it, it's real. It's yeah. not this image. It's not this facsimile of what it can be.
0: Yeah. For those of you that don't follow Sebastian on social media, I'm going to link his Instagram in the show notes so that you can click on his profile and watch the video of when he found out that he got in. I promise it'll make your day because I remember I was eating pizza in Austin with my friends and our family. I saw it in the group message. I clicked on it and I just started crying in the middle of the pizza place. Um,
1: So that was like five minutes after I found that I got in because I had a rehearsal late at night. I knew I was going to get my acceptance or decline at eight at night. So I left early from the rehearsal. I went to an abandoned parking lot so I could cry myself because I, I was 100% sure I was a kid and all my friends were super anxious. Everyone's like, oh my God, oh my God. And I just walked out just silent. Eight, the clock hit eight. I said no words. I just walked out <laughs> and I went into the parking lot and my first reaction was just, huh? <laughs> huh. No way. I mean, it wasn't until, like, it, it didn't feel real. It really, it felt like a complete joke because it didn't, feel, it didn't feel like something that could actually happen. It wasn't until I got home and I talked with mom that we it really felt real. Like, the tears started coming that it
0: really manifested in my head. Yeah, and you're someone that I don't think I've seen cry since you were a child. So, mm-hmm. this is pretty big stuff that this moved you to tears. Yeah. What were some of the emotions that you felt in that moment?
1: The biggest emotion was surprise. <laughs> I was so surprised. I, I just felt validated. I think that was the second biggest emotion. It's just the validation that everything I'd done, everything that I committed myself to do, all of this hard work wasn't in vain. That like I, It was real. Honest, like I, I had mentioned to some of my friends that if I don't get into Harvard, none of the schools I get into, even if it was Princeton or Stanford, are going to feel good enough. It was just a validation and relief and just a flood of... Just, emotions and catharsis of everything I've been keeping up for
0: for 17 years yeah that's it's mind-boggling still to this day to think about and being two days out from you actually moving to Boston is even crazier to think about because of course with the pandemic going on we didn't know if you were ever even going to go to Boston or when you were going to go to Boston I guess to backtrack a little bit before we get to that stage talk a little bit about the end of your high school and what it was like to graduate during a pandemic or to kind of have your high school <laughs> senior year cut off short. For sure.
1: For sure. So I, I've talked a lot at length about this to my friends and family. I actually had a really good high school experience for my senior year. I didn't get to go to prom. and That's basically, the only, or walk the stage, but that's basically the only two things I think I missed. I got to do bands. I got to, to do all these competitions. I had got to have concerts. I got to go and travel with school. There was all these things I got to do that really just made a very positive experience. So when I found out that I wasn't able to do some things, like have the championships for indoor percussion or do my senior solo with the orchestra, I wasn't devastated because I knew that I did all that I could. I had taken advantage of everything that I had. And I was content with what I had done. With the actual logistics of graduating with... In the pandemic, I was so over distance learning the moment we had to start (laughs) because I was a senior. All the teachers were checked out because they're senior teachers. We were already done with everything because it was the second semester and grades didn't matter. So the teachers were checked out. I was checked out. I wasn't even going to do most of my AP tests. (laughs) And they were saying just preparing us for the AP test. I was just completely checked out and just annoyed. But it didn't really bother me just because at that point, there was no stakes for me. I had already gotten to Harvard. My GPA was set. I had done everything I could. So I was happy and content. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Would you say looking back, what I found is that, you know, in these pinnacle moments where you expect things to be the greatest days ever, they typically aren't. Would you say you look back on high school and... You know, find solace and joy in looking at the small interactions that oh, you have had with people. Of course, of course. If
1: you think of prom or homecoming are going to be the big, the big events that are going to make your high school career, but no, it's it's like talking to your friends in the hallway. It's yeah. having it's going to get lunch with someone or going out to eat before a game or something. It's all those little things, those little traditions, those little things we have with each other that really make up high school, and I'm, I'm going to miss those, but. I know that in, at Harvard or wherever I go, I'm gonna have new versions of those, and I'm so I'm not too sad about them. I'm, I mean, I'm, I miss them, but it's part of life is moving on from those little things, making new ones, making new memories.
0: Yeah, definitely. Would you say that you're about ready to leave San Antonio? Oh, I'm so ready. After six months of being here, <laughs> I'm so ready to leave.
1: I know you said before that it, it it's different when you look back on moving out because for both of us, I think it wasn't. It's not gonna be big of an event. For me, moving out like it wasn't for you. Just looking back on it, it's going to be a huge event. So I'm excited. I'm not apprehensive at all. I'm just ready to get out there. Of course, there's people. There's things I'm going to miss. But I'm really excited to start a new chapter in my life.
0: Yeah, I think we're all excited for you. We're rooting for you. And we wish we could be going to Boston as well. Sadly, we cannot. But one day, we will all be there. We will visit. Yeah, Yeah, I think, as you said, um, high school concluding and me moving to college, I was very much just ready to get out the door. And I didn't really care or any of that until I left and I came back. And it wasn't really until this quarantine and pandemic started that I was able to kind of reflect when I came back home to visit Mm -hmm. and be like, wow, I really missed out on some quality time because as people may know, like my senior year, most of my high school years in general were not the most well spent. They were spent doing things that weren't the greatest. And I think I took for granted a lot of things that I'm now able to appreciate, mm. um, such as family and this bonding time that we've been able to have catching up on years that we really all miss together. Yeah. So definitely. it's been great to, you know, n- great in a sense, because obviously, you know, it's not great that everything that's going on is going on, but it's been great to send you off after being able to spend this time with you mm-hmm. and reconnect and stuff. like yeah, that. Yeah. It would have been, I think more
1: tragic looking back on it. If, I had spent the whole summer, you know, out with friends, going on trips, not here, not connecting, not talking with you guys. And I think having that closure and having all this time that is basically more than I've had my entire high school career has really made me be okay with leaving because we've done more than we have in a long time. I've spent
0: more time with with you guys than I have in years. Yeah, I'm going to miss you, but I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy your time in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I think when you do return, it'll be even sweeter. You'll Mm. be more grateful for this time here and you'll be so Mm. just thrilled to share your experiences with us. Definitely. I I can't wait to tell you all all about it. Yeah. I think we're tell, uh, tell the people a little bit about your class schedule currently going into Harvard. Okay.
1: Going to Harvard. I finally have my classes. I didn't (laughs) until actually yesterday or the day before. So I have, I'm taking a class is called justice and it's just, it's this one law professor. He's just talking about what justice is. Each lecture is just an open ended conversation talking about the topics of the day. So the first lecture is just talking about the coronavirus p- pandemic and who's going to get the first vaccine. Then it goes into the issues of libertarianism, free speech, all these things. I'm taking another introductory life sciences class, not that big of a deal. Then I'm taking a seminar called Tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, this, I mean, this is the class I'm most excited for. I get to have one tree in the Harvard Arboretum assigned to me. And I will write about it. I will take pictures of it, draw it, hang out with it, and that's my entire assignment. The final consists of two things. One, I have to write an essay on a topic called What is a tree? <laughs> and then the second one is they're gonna give when I get there, they're gonna give me a seed for a tree, and I have to plant it in like a little pot and put it in my dorm and see if it'll grow. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And then write a reflections on my little tree. The final class I'm taking is Humanities. It's a very writing and reading intensive class where we're reading a different book every single week. These are books like like The Odyssey, Madam Not Madame Butterfly. Tales of An Amorous Woman by Murasaki. All these classic works that we're going to be reading every single week. It's very intensive writing essays every single week. And I'm really excited for this challenge after six months of doing absolutely
0: nothing. <laughs> what are some of the emotions that you have going into Harvard? Are you in any way anxious overwhelmed nervous
1: oh yeah after i saw the syllabi, the that anxiety in the chest started <laughs> rising seeing how each class has multiple discussions and two-hour seminars each week and then each class also has all these problem sets and different exams and quizzes every single week it's going to be a lot but i mean i think as long as i don't get too overwhelmed and don't let myself psych myself out i won't get overwhelmed
0: yeah what would you say is the you know Five year, ten year plan. You know, you don't have to have these things mapped out now, but yeah. I think this is when people do start thinking about them. Yeah. So, as terms of career, city, okay, whatever. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I have no idea for the city. I am completely open to any possibilities that happen. But right now, my working idea is going to medical school. This can change on a on a, at a moment's notice. Like, I am not nailed down to this at all. I'm not married to the idea at all. But I am really interested by biology and medicine and I'm just going to explore as much as I can, and I'm also going to explore government because I'm also very interested in government. So if I can mix those two together or choose one or the other, I'm going to do that. So in five years, maybe going into medical school or doing the Peace Corps—that's also something I've always wanted to do. And ten years, maybe do, finishing up my residency at somewhere, or maybe even becoming a,
0: you know, like a clerk to a Congressperson. That'd be crazy. Do you think? you know, you come from a family of lawyers that that would ever be in the works for you?
1: Oh, I'm completely open to the possibility of becoming a lawyer. <laughs> when my dad saw the course justice, he said, you know, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like introduction to law school. <laughs> and I, that, that is just an option, you know, I'm very interested in politics and that would be some way to get into there, but I'm not nailed to any one idea. Yeah, I'm open to anything that might happen.
0: That's awesome. I think it's great that you're going into college with that mentality and that Also, that Harvard fosters that environment where you don't have to be boxed into a major from the second you walk on campus because you get to choose your major, I think. You declare it after your second year, correct? Yeah, sophomore year. Yeah, so that's great that you get to explore classes, explore what you like, further develop into who you want to become because you're only 18 years old.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great experience, and I think it's just what I need to figure out who I am and what I want to do with my life.
0: Yeah. So last concluding thoughts. This has been another great episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to have sat down with you. Yeah, thank you so um, much for having me on. Of course. Um I'm sitting here in front of you today and I don't want you to hold back in any way, but as your as the youngest sibling of the family, as the baby of the family, how have you I guess appreciated or um unappreciated all your other siblings because oh, i think you are okay. very much the product of a very very diverse eclectic family <laughs> yeah, so definitely. i guess in what ways have you learned from us in what ways have you you know i'm not going to do any of that and how has that shaped you into who you're going to become as an adult
1: yeah okay so you guys were kind of assholes when i was little <laughs> you guys would like hit me and bully me and make fun of me. But I i mean, it was all in good jets. Like I, I mean, it didn't traumatize me or anything. It just made me like a little sad sometimes, but I think having growing the tough skin enabled me to just kind of move and roll with the punches as I grew older. All of y'all really taught me something about it. I mean, Tori is completely different from all of us. She yeah. has a completely different outlook on life. So does Josh. And so do you. Just seeing those different outlooks and having those different approaches to life is really, Help me see like, what you can do with what you're given. Cause mm-hmm. we all start at very different spots. We've all started at very different spots and places in life and seeing what we each do with it has been very interesting and very rewarding just to see what I can do myself.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a great answer. And I think you were a little scared when I asked you the question, but that was a great answer. <laughs> um, I guess as a last concluding thought, an actual concluding thought, I think the appropriate way to end this episode would be. Again, to say that I'm going to miss you dearly, that, you know, it's emotional as a brother to be sending your little brother off to college when, you know, I've only ever seen you as the baby of the family. But whatever you're going to go into, whatever you're going to do, you're going to be successful, whether that's, you know, lawyer, Supreme Court justice, you know, politician, you know, brain surgeon, heart surgeon, whatever it is, whatever you do, um, you're going to be successful. So if you were going to listen to this in 10 years' time, what would you tell yourself? What would you would hope had stayed the same? And yeah, go ahead and share that with the audience.
1: So thank you for those very kind words. Um, I think if I were to look at this podcast, I just, and just see what my past self would think about my current self. I just want my, want to know that I've done everything that I possibly can. I've done the most I can. I haven't wasted all any opportunities. I've done everything I possibly can. And I haven't thrown away my shot in the words of, Lin Manuel Miranda from Hamilton. <laughs> That's
0: great. Again, thank you for being here, Sebastian. And yeah, Thank you for having me so much. Signing off. This is another episode of the Growth and Jams podcast. See y'all later.